Welcome to another edition of Never a Dull Movie. And I'm Father Chip Hines, and he is... Brian Swift. And we are here to talk to you today about a movie that you might not think a Catholic priest and another Catholic guy would just sit around talking about. It's called Joker. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. Even if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard about it. Um, it is... It's a... It's a... I think, my opinion, uh, very good to masterpiece uh, of filmmaking. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I, I think that. Um, you know, the Joker is a, an iconic character. Um, certainly he's been uh, one of Batman's nemesis for since the beginning of Batman. Uh, and so the character's been around for a long time and has gone through some iterations. Um, certainly there was the Cesar Romero, you know, Batman TV show Joker who was... That was my first... Yeah, uh, mine too. My first um, in, in reruns. Yeah, and of course, in reruns. I was in reruns too, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying you weren't. All right. And <laughs> he's not that old. Um, anyway, and uh, so there was he was kind of lighthearted and not so scary, uh, even though he was a clown. Um, I don't like clowns. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it too, and I don't plan on it. Um, but anyway, so the Joker, that, that was our first sort of... You know, interaction with the Joker, and then for uh, me, I, before we move on from the Caesar Romero thing, I think yeah. my lasting impression of that, and it didn't strike me as a kid. I probably absorbed it, but it didn't strike me as a kid. Was that he refused to shave his mustache to play the Joker? Yes, that's he just right. Put the white paint yep. over his mustache, and it was clear that it was a man with a mustache covered right. in white paint. Yep, no, that's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that. Um, then for me, Jack Nicholson. Oh yeah, uh, as the Joker in um, in uh, the Michael Keaton Batman, um, and it was you know he was for a long time the uh, gold standard of Joe of Joker. Sure, I think that was my first or second time ever going to see a movie in the theater. Really? Yeah. Wow. First one. If it was if it wasn't the first one, then the first one was Masters of the Universe starring Dolph Lundgren. But. Ooh. Uh, that's a minor. I don't know what year that came. Right no, it's awful. I know. I know. It's, it's terrible. But I was trying uh, to be nice. I'm pretty there. sure. I'm pretty sure my parents. My my parents brought both me and my brother. We were probably too young <laughs> for Batman '89. I would have been. I would have been six. Yeah, I was in college. Okay. So, um, anyway, flash forward because we have uh, now uh, Heath Ledger. Yes. As the Joker. Wonderful, wonderful uh, An Oscar-winning performance, uh, creepy, crazy, unsettling. Yeah. Um, Mesmerizing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, just incredible performance uh, as the Joker uh, in, um, which, which Batman was that? That was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. 2008. That's right. So, uh, so then, and now... Uh, they're, they're, well, no, no, no. You're, I know, I know. Skip no, over I'm one. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. <laughs> I'm going to get there. So then, this phenomenon starts where we're not only doing movies about heroes. Now we're doing movies about villains. And in the Suicide Squad, it is. You're going to have to help me with this. Who's the actor? Jared Leto. Jared or Leto. Leto. I don't know how it's yeah, pronounced. Yeah, Jared Leto. Let's call him Jared. Let's Leto. call him Leto. It's, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so Jared Leto or Leto or Leto, um, he he is the Joker. Now I didn't see that movie. 
So I can't. You're better off. I can't comment on his performance. Um, but this begins, in my opinion, the this sort of new new genre or subgenre of comic book movies of doing movies about the villains. And I'm not saying that I'm a fan of that because I'm not, but that's why we have this movie. Well, I think that we're we're also occupying a world where if you're a, a movie studio, like all they care about right now, and you'll know the term, IP. Yeah. Intellectual properties. Content, yep. And there's this there's this feeling of like so Warner Brothers owns DC. Right. If they don't own DC, they've got a contractual I think uh, partnership. Own, I think they own it. Marvel goes through a long string of success with their cinematic universe. Mm. And then, oh, well, well, we've got Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. We should have it too. And it doesn't work out the same. Because seemingly the people behind them don't have the same passion for the characters as the Marvel people. Well, I think that's true. I, I, I don't know if it's, if, if it's the passion or if the studio just doesn't have the creative people that yeah, Marvel has. Marvel, right. is, Marvel has tapped into a, a certain level of creativity um, that I think is, is amazing, first of all, that they have it. And B, they've got, they've got all these characters that are, while they're superheroes, they're flawed superheroes. You know, they're not exactly 100%, right? I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they've got troubles. You can see, you can see, why, you can see why your average audience... Would like them more, right? They connect. I, I'm gonna go on a tangent here Uh-oh. for for a brief I'm tangent gonna, alert. I'm gonna keep it as brief as possible. Okay, tangent. You remember the Nickelodeon show Doug? I remember you it. I never watched it. it. You know yeah. It. Okay, so Doug had a young boy who had a lot of imagination, and different episodes would take you on different imagination uh, voyages with him. And he created a superhero for himself named Quail Man. Mm. I don't remember what Quail Man's powers were, but I know he wore his belt on his head, and he wore his underwear outside his shorts. Ah, of course. And he had a cape. But so anyways, there was an episode of Doug where Doug's friend Skeeter decided he was going to play superheroes with him. And during the course of the episode, Skeeter, his character, his imagination superhero character, could do everything. Anything that came up. Oh, oh, I can can stretch. I can stretch. I, I can run. Like the like the wind, you know, and, and I can fly and I can do this and I can do that. And the lesson I remember getting clearly from that, it's not fun to watch someone who can do anything. True. Limit limitation is is good. Is the key to interesting character. So it seems to me that the DC superheroes are those limitless other than Batman, are those limitless abilityed and I mean Superman he has no limits and I just don't see how you can get good drama out of that that's just my opinion no I I understand your point um and I I tend to agree I think that Superman Superman's weakness isn't in himself his weakness is that he cares about human beings he cares about the people around him to a villain that's his weakness, right? And it's always been his weakness. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Jimmy Olsen and even Perry, uh, Perry White, Perry White, to a certain extent, or just people in general, or people in general, but his close friends. Yes, I mean, think of the first Superman movie with uh, Christopher Reeve. 
Lois Lane dies. Or in is that it movie. Reeve? I don't know. Yeah, it might be Reeve. Christopher Reeve, Superman in that movie, literally turns back time by rotating the Earth on backwards on its axis. Great point. To save Lois Lane. Yeah. Now, when you're a kid and you're watching that movie and you're thinking, because I was it was I was ten wow. years old when that movie came yeah. out. I'm like, he can literally turn back time and save Lois Lane. He can do it all. I thought that was pretty great. And I think Superman is a young person, a, a youngish person's superhero. But it's a superhero that's had an indelible mark on a lot of us. Mm-hmm. People, but, especially people my but age. But as you mature, Batman becomes right. the more. I mean, because because Batman and I and well, and Batman we're, is we're fine, a normal we're, guy. We're winding our way back to the back to the Joker. We, movie, we'll get Bat- there. No, we we will. But Batman is just a human, right. which is relatable. First of all. Uh, he has no superpowers. None. Yep. He, no science accidents. Nope. He's just a he's jacked just, up dude. He's just rich. Yeah, and his, rich. His his, uh, his superpower is money. Is money and uh, the abundance of free time that money provides <laughs> and, for you to and gadgets and, and gadgets. But I mean, he works out a lot, and you he need does. to have time to do that. Well, he and and Batman is is buff. He's uh he's got to be because that's all he's got. Right. So, but he's Batman also brain. A, but he's also, if you want to break it down. He's a psycho. <laughs> well, that's like, your opinion. Batman is, but I mean, he he is. I mean, he. But in, I think the Dark the Knight best, iteration of yes. Batman is a psycho in the best possible way that you can be a psycho. He's a psycho. He's the anti-psycho, right? I mean, sure. he's the he's the. But he definitely has a psychosis. I, well, he's got a, an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you would too if you saw your parents gunned down in cold blood. I think that would affect anybody. But he's a billionaire, so he has the ability to, you know, make an eff- make an effort to endeavor to change the world. So, my contention on Batman and why Batman is the best of the comic book characters, bar none, uh, is even the Marvel ones, even the Marvel ones. Okay, I think Batman would fit very nicely in a Marvel universe. Oh, he would. That- I still think he'd be the most compelling, really? superhero character. And but here's the reason. What about Wolverine? No. I mean, he's good, but Batman is more, more, far more compelling. And I think the reason is because Batman's rogues gallery, his his, his oh, yeah. pool his of villains, pool of villains is, is un, unmatched. Oh, they're the unmatched. They are the most creatively designed. All of them have really, really well developed motivations and backstories. It's not like to and to get to the Joker. Uh, the Joker has never been a I'm going to take over the world supervillain. No, no. The Joker, not, in fact, the he's Joker very is very much not that. Yes, he he's the he's the diametric opposite of Batman. Chaos is his mistress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about it's all about the lack of order. Yes, and and so that's what and and I can't think of another superhero that has such a perfect opposite. As their primary villain, I know that that is what every uh, superhero creator tries to develop, but I can't think of anybody who's done it nearly as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and I think that you know, with 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 the Joker, you have a character that, as long as you don't kill him off, you have a character that can come back in any movie and and just be which I wreak havoc, which I think. I think most people of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy 
a lot of people's least favorite is the third, The Dark Knight Rises. And I attribute... Why? Why would that be your... Why would you hate that one so much? (laughs) That's that's a very good... That's a very good bane. Uh, You didn't even have to cover your mouth for that. Um, But I believe that part of that was, I think that in their idea for the third movie, the Joker did not die at the end of Dark Knight. Heath Ledger, tragically... He died. uh, Died of an accidental opioid overdose. But the Joker, I believe, would have been back in The Dark Knight Rises, maybe oh, not yeah. as the prime villain, but he would have been a factor. Yes, I think you're and right. And it would have made it better, which, before we get into the movie, this is a question I want to ask you. Okay. Why do you think that... You can the... have anything in your world. <laughs> Sorry. No, you do a great bane. I don't think you should hide that from the world. Why do you think that the Joker is such a compelling character to people? Like, we are... We are good people. Yeah. And and I think that most most people, most of the movie movie going public is good people, but there's a magnetism to this extremely villainous evil character that we can't deny. Like we want to see him. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. doing terrible things, but we when he's on screen, we're just like, oh, now we're getting to the good stuff. Right. I think and this is a good segue into the movie. The thing about the character, the Joker, is that and I think you hit on it a few minutes ago, is that he is the perfect foil for for Batman. His lack of impulse control, his lack of any sense of any sense of goodness. You know, he has no filter. And I think that appeals to people because in our world, in our lives, we all have filters. We have the filters on every day. Um, and we, and you know, people that have bosses, you know, you, your boss comes to you and says that he wants, you know, X, Y, and Z done and he wants it tonight and you have to stay late if you can't get it done in the time that, you know, till, till five o'clock. And, and when he walks away, instead of saying it to his face, you say it under your breath and oh, that guy's a jerk. And the Joker just, just says it. Squirt him with an acid flower. Yeah. He just does it. Yeah. He just he like takes him down. Yeah, as Heath Ledger as Heath Ledger said in The Dark Knight, he's like a dog chasing hubcaps. Right. There's no making sense of it. Although, yeah, in that movie, he clearly shows a lot of forethought. Like, he, although he's a psycho and though he's chaotic, he has a plan. He's well organized. Yeah. In his way. Yeah, I mean, he's organized in a sense. And this is in the Dark Knight. I, I right. think in in the movie that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. This is so. Not the case let, in the let, movie we're going to be me, talking about. Let Let's start that conversation by this. Can you tell me what you think the story is? What 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 is the tell? Just tell me the basic story of of Joker. because uh, <laughs> I think it's actually a pretty. I think it's actually a pretty short description. It is. It's It's this. Uh, man goes insane. Yeah. That's basically what the that's what this movie is. Yeah. Man goes insane. He was a man in this movie, Arthur Dent. No, Bent. you're thinking of Harvey Dent. No, oh. yeah, Arthur. Um, oh, now you've got me. Oh, come now on. You, now you got me. Uh, What's his name? What's his name? You're looking it up. I'm looking. Uh, Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck. So you have this guy, Arthur Fleck, who's kind of. Uh, He's he's got troubles. Yeah, he's a mope, and he's got some psychological issues, and it's the late 70s, early 80s in Gotham City. Which is New York. 
No, I think is Newark. Yes, it is in, in it is Newark because in the DC universe, Met, uh, Metropolis is, is New, New York, York City. Yeah, but this Gotham was designed after gritty late seventies New York City. I would say that's probably true, because it it was about garbage strikes and you know, and it's filmed there. Yeah, really, it's filmed there. And so, like low level street crime. I mean, that's right, right off the bat. You yeah. just get to see. Yeah, well, he gets beat up and robbed, and you know, so his he's being kind of semi controlled by this by medication, and by a woman site, you know, social worker that he meets with. Uh, I mean, I don't know that she's a doctor, but um, so he, I think she's probably a counselor. Yeah, she's a counselor of some kind. So, and that is helping him to a certain extent, Somewhat. keeps him sort of on the straight and narrow, you know, and he lives with his mother. He's trying to support her. The picture that they paint of his environment is that of a relative hellscape. Yeah, exactly. It's not a pleasant life. Yes. And when things start to unravel is when he uh, loses his job, his counselor's program gets cut. And he's got no way to access the drugs that help him to stay somewhat normal. And after all that happens, he just goes insane. Yes, and and, and I think the I think the environment is that other like linchpin. He it's like here's it, it's it's a piling up of factors. Right. And uh, but the most but the most significant is his existing mental illness. Oh sure. I mean, this is a this is this is a difficult movie. We're going to talk about more difficult movies, but this is a difficult movie because of the just crushing portrayal. I mean, I, of 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 mental illness. I I count myself lucky mm-hmm. that I've never I've never experienced anything. I mean, I, and I don't think anybody, but I mean, the type. Not like this. No, nobody. I mean, I this mean, is, this is, this isn't, is, is I, I've never, I've never struggled with depression. Right. But this goes beyond depression. It does. It's, um, he's, you, actually, you want to hear the IMDb description of this? Okay, sure. In Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian, Arthur Fleck, is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral. Spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego, Joker. I don't think that that is a very good synopsis. <clears throat> uh, I'm not uh, because he either. the the revolution, which we'll get to. He this isn't his doing. No, this well, is this is. Well, no. It's what I mean is inspired it's, by it's him. Inspired by him, but he has little or nothing. He has at no point in the movie, maybe until the very end. Does he participate in these revolutionary demonstrations? True, but he inspires them. Yes, but I, I but I think it, it's this I found very interesting about the movie is that this there's other people in this society that we're talking about that's just hard. It's hard on people. Yeah, people are having a hard time in this world in this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely, and this. So what happens is he is a. He's a clown for hire right. in New York City, and he gets um, hired for a lot of jobs other than clowning. Yes, he goes to hospitals. Yes, he goes to birthday parties, but he gets hired to be a clown out on the street holding a sign for store closing. One night, riding home on the train after 
I think it was after he lost his job. Mm-hmm. Three drunk Wall Street types start accosting a woman. He acts out because of his mental illness, which causes him to laugh riotously at inappropriate times. And when you watch the, the, the Joaquin Phoenix performance on that is incredible because he's laughing, but his face is just a tortured anguish. He's mm. so sad. Right. But he's still laughing. So it's just, oh, it's creepy. It's very creepy. And these uh, three Wall Street types start to assault him. Well, he's got a gun on him, and he shoots them all dead in self-defense right. and runs off. Quasi-self-defense, but yes. Well, okay, there are three of them. Two of them, it's self-defense. The yeah. third one, he probably could have let go. Right. Because he was running away. Right. But, but it, I, I, I believe, with my understanding of the law, if he didn't flee the scene... Mm-hmm. Called the police mm-hmm. and said, they I've, I've, I've shot three men who were assaulting me. Mm. Please come. Yeah, except I, that I he would have he... been arrested for having an unlicensed and unregistered handgun. But okay. That's okay. But, I mean, the, the inciting incident that really, mm-hmm. really kicks, yeah. kicks this thing off, a rational person, like, you know, I, I don't think we should be shooting anybody, but you defend yourself, certainly. Uh, yeah, that was taking it to a certain yes. level that it didn't necessarily need to go to. Right. And I think he probably would have been arrested for something close to maybe manslaughter or something like that. Okay, but fair enough. I think that so that scene, though, does set him off on a course that is, you know... That's the, be- that's the yeah. beginning of... That's the beginning of, oh, I'm the Joker. Right. Like the Joker, he's been an entity hiding inside Arthur Fleck. Yep. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get out and take a walk for a while, you know? Yep. And after, the, and after that incident, he goes, I think he just, he runs away. He finds himself in a public bathroom. He's hiding. And then he starts doing this. And throughout the movie, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who lost a lot of weight, he's, oh, very, yeah, very, he's very gaunt and skeletal, starts doing this like... It's a dance. I don't even. I. I don't know much. I don't know much of anything about dance. I don't either. But there's a certain style of just dance that he's doing. It's like, it's like, this badness in him is expressing its freedom through the art of dance. <laughs> and it's oh, it's chilling. <laughs> it's chilling. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't think of it that way. Um, but yeah, I can see your point, and I think that. He's he's such a he's such a good actor, and he he embodies this character so very much that you can you can kind of you can see him descending further and further into madness. You know, it's not something that he's hiding, and in fact, some of his world is make believe. Like yes, you know, we don't and and, and there it's not clear. But... It's not clear at first, but then it do, becomes clear later. Yeah, that. Certain things that you think have happened didn't happen. They were, yeah, it was his, it was his imagination. Yeah, but but not his imagination in the sense of no, his crazy time. Crazy yeah, time. like he didn't delusion. He, he didn't invent scenarios that we saw in the movie out of whole cloth. He he goes to these places and he does these things and he thinks there's someone. He's imagining that there's someone with him. Mm-hmm. When that person is not with him, no, right. but he still did. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's he's that, delusional. Well, yeah, because so one of the problems I have with movies in general, or these kind of movies, is 
Uh, to give you an example, um, Shutter Island. You remember Shutter Island? Yeah. I turn on a movie on a dime. Mm. If all of a sudden there's a revelation, it was all a dream. Mm, I agree. And that didn't happen in this. That didn't happen in this. It, it, it was revealed that he was having like visual hallucination delusions. Right. But it wasn't, this is all a dream. Right, right. No, no, the things happened. <clears throat> yes. Um, but, you know, he had a, sort of an imaginary girlfriend. At, yeah. You know, well, I he, mean, and, and, and it made sense. It was like, I guess maybe you could say that he was, in his mind, he was trying to convince himself that this is missing from my life. And he was probably right. If he had somebody who was offering him genuine love and affection, mm-hmm. maybe that would have been enough to overcome. Maybe. Right? Maybe. I mean, I think he he needed he needed severe help. Oh yeah. Um he even the help he was getting before that was cut off wasn't enough to make him normal. Yeah. Um he needed to institution. Be insti- he needed to be institutionalized. At least institutionalized and, and if he could be medicated to be normal. Um he pro- I mean maybe they could, I don't know, but he he definitely as he was, was not going to lead a normal life. Right. And, so, and he had his whole situation with his mother. And yes, his mother. His mother is his mother's also mentally ill. Right. Though, I think, interestingly, in the movie, he is so far down the road of mental illness that the audience doesn't necessarily spot the mother's issues. Not right away. Yeah, because they are dwarfed by his. Oh yeah, and anything would be. Yeah, any any anybody's so, issues would be. So after he shoot, after he takes his revenge out on these Wall Street types, the city at large. When this story comes out, and I and, and they don't explain. I'm assuming it was security cameras, but they don't explain how they find out that someone dressed as a clown shot these guys. I think there was. Well, the woman was still alive. Okay, she was a witness. Okay, and so I think so, there was just. Witnesses and probably tape, you know, like a security tape. And uh, so what happens yeah. in the city is people uh, people grab onto that, mm. and like we see, like like we see in different like protest movements. Yeah, even uh, today. Yeah, even today, like um, the they, red, the, the yellow vest guys, the yellow vest guys, and, yeah. or the yellow umbrella guys, right. in uh, protests in in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I think the Hong Kong protest has morphed into, but there's symbolism, and, right. and the people who are upset at the state of things, grab on to the clown image. And they get clown masks and they go and it starts as public demonstrations. Right. We're all going to wear clown masks. Right. And, and that takes on a life of its own. So this, all of this is happening in the city. It's starting to descend into madness. As he As does. he descends yeah. into madness. But he is not participating with them. There's two... There's two levels of this happening, and yeah. he doesn't even pay attention. It's almost like he doesn't care about them. I don't think he knows about them. Yeah. You, do, you know what? He doesn't seem like someone who's up with the news. No, exactly. I don't think he even knows that it's happening until near the end of the movie when he comes out, you know, um, and, he, and he sees what's happening. Yeah. You know? So I, I think then he understands that, oh, this is, this is bigger. Than, this is a this, movement. This is bigger than me. Yeah. And, these, and another thing that you mentioned... In the IMDb, and I, I, too, I take a little bit of issue with, mm-hmm. they say struggling comedian. Yeah. 
I don't. I think that is kind. Very kind. Uh, I think it's it's not something that he's working towards. He's a bad comedian. He's not really trying. No. But he's upset that people don't find think him he's funny. funny. Yeah. That yeah. really bothers him. Yeah. Oh but yeah. It's, but he's not. They don't show because because. I've told you this. I'm I'm a big stand-up comedy fan. I Me have too. been since I yeah. was little. I like to read about stand-ups. I like to watch stand-ups. I like to hear podcasts with stand-ups. Why do they call it old thing? <laughs> so, and and one of the things that is very clear if you listen to any stand-up talk about the art of stand-up is mm-hmm. you have to work at it. Oh, yeah. And that there's going to be a period of time where you're terrible, but if you just keep keep plugging away, you're going to learn the skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Arthur Flex seems like because he has these delusions of going on, essentially the Johnny Carson show, right. but hosted by Robert De Niro's Robert character. De Niro's character, yep. And he he wants to be. Oh, I should be. That's where, and it's not a goal. He thinks he should be there, right? But he, he only goes to the comedy club once, right? Like with there's his, no with his, with his imaginary with girlfriend. his imaginary girlfriend. There's no indication that he's actually involving himself in this art form. Yeah, yeah. And again, well, they do show him trying to write jokes. They show him right, but 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 his jokes. I mean, okay. But it's again delusions. It's 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 the <laughs> ramblings of a madman. Oh, the and it's it's a manifesto. Is yeah. what it is. If 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 this were in real life, they would have caught him and say, "We've discovered his manifesto." That's right. That's and right. it's not funny. It's not funny. No, he he was he literally was a crazy person, and I think that that's appropriate to the character. And it's it's he's in he's on this dark descent into madness, and it's really, in my opinion, this movie is a commentary on today, on society today. It has a it's, lot of parallels. It's it's a commentary on how do we treat people, um, how do we, uh, you know, how do we treat people in in our lives? How do we treat people that are strangers to us? How do we treat the mental mentally ill? How how do we treat everybody? And 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 it's this lack of hope that's in this movie. It's very bleak. That makes it even worse. Like you leave the movie and you're like, okay, I don't think this is going to get any better. And <laughs> and then it's also a commentary on the one percent, the wealth disparity, the one percent personified by Thomas, Thomas Wayne. Wayne, Bruce's yeah. father, right? Who is in this in this adaptation, and and I think it should be fair to say that. This they picture this as a one-off movie. There's been rumors of a sequel because it's done so well, but when it was made, right, it was this is a one-off movie. This is technically not the Joker that you know of. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, not canon. They're, they're not suggesting that this Joaquin Phoenix Joker is going to become the Heath Ledger Joker. Mm. No, they're, no, they're not. They're not suggesting that. But so so in 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 saying that also. The Thomas Wayne that we get to know is not the Thomas Wayne that has been described in previous Batman stories. The right. Thomas Wayne that we get to that, that we are told about because we never really get to meet him except for the multiple movies in which his murder is depicted. Mm-hmm. He's a kind and good man. Kind. He's a generous philanth. I have a hard time with this word. Philanthropist. Thank you. He's just kind, loving, cares about his fellow man, cares about his city. Yep. This is where Bruce Wayne gets all that from. Mm-hmm. He, he gets it from his parents, right. obviously. Right. This Thomas Wayne in this movie, he's running for mayor of Gotham City, and I don't know if I don't know if we're seeing him through Arthur Fleck's perspective, but they are treating him as the the personification of the unfair and evil one percent. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair description. It's not a complete portrait, I would say, of Thomas Wayne um, in this movie. We don't. It's not the call the Thomas Wayne movie, so it, you know, it's it is the Joker or just Joker. So I think, yeah, he needs somebody to. He needs that foil, if you will. They all. Every villain needs a foil, right? I mean, mm. so in this movie, the foil is personified by the one percent, personified by by Thomas Wayne, and I think. That's, you know, that makes sense because you can't just show every rich person. You need somebody to kind of focus on. Sure. And he's fo- and he's running for mayor. Yes. So, and he's been in there throughout the movie. There are kind of asides about Wayne, about oh, gee, Thomas Wayne, whatever, you know, just another rich guy. You know, if they do a second movie, I wish they would do, you know, I wish they would do Batman and Joker. I think that would be a great movie. I think I think if they were going to continue with this continuity, I think there'd be I think there's an interesting middle movie. Now, in and this is jumping ahead, but at the end of the movie, he's gone full Joker as you would imagine he would. And uh he's caught after a highly public and horrific act of violence and he is finally institutionalized. But in the institution, the last scene of him, it's like it's the first time you see the character at peace. He's calm and he looks unburdened because I think he's given himself over to this persona. I think there's an interesting middle movie in which while spending time in a, in a, in a facility for the criminally insane, this happens in prison apparently. You go in for X crime and you spend your time with other criminals and sometimes... Uh, sometimes people who are incarcerated come out with learned skills yeah, in the right. criminal enterprises that yeah. they didn't go in with. Right, right. So I think an interesting movie could, the sequel could be that in between time where he's in the institution and he's crazy and he's chaotic, but now he learns how to be a criminal tactician like we see. Yeah, that, I mean, Or at least part of it. Certainly part of it. that could be it. And I think... I, I just really want to see Batman take this Joker on. Yeah. I really do. I mean, he's indirectly responsible for um, Thomas Wayne and, and Martha Wayne's death. Yes. So. Um, Let me, what did you think about um, Robert De Niro and his performance? De Niro is De Niro. He was good. The, you know, he was uh, smug enough, and I think he was, you know, he's certainly been on enough talk shows to sort of emulate a talk show host. I didn't think he was all that funny. No. Um, they don't give they don't give any indication as to why this person would be right. considered the uh the arbiter of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but he's particularly smug and he treats Arthur Fleck poorly. He makes fun of him. And that's another thing. It just shows that it goes back to being nice. It goes back to being nice to your fellow man. He's not nice to Arthur Fleck. He's not nice and he makes fun of him with a video. He makes fun of him. He picks the wrong guy. He picks the wrong guy. And he pays the price yeah. uh, for picking the wrong guy. And in some ways, in some ways, what Art Joaquin Phoenix says before, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Five, four, three, two, one. Before he shoots De Niro, De Niro on live television, he says, you know, you decided you were going to make fun of someone of a... A mentally ill person, and you're gonna get what you deserve. Mm. 
in no way condoning that behavior. In some ways, he's right. It's like you don't, yeah, don't, don't. It, it's, it's, you know, you knew I was a snake, and maybe, and maybe, to be fair, maybe De Niro's character had no clue about the levels of his derangement. Oh, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Yeah. So with maybe, so, so in, in that light, that's unfair. But in, in Arthur's mind, he's getting what he deserves. Right. I think that's right. And, you know, it, you, you can see it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just a great, I think the performance of Joaquin Phoenix overshadows everybody in this movie. And his just descent into madness is just un, unbelievably realistic. And it's shot beautifully. Yeah, it it's, is. The pace of it is great. It's very well written. And he's and, pretty much in every scene. He's a, oh, he's, he is the, he's the engine that drives his car, for sure. Yeah. And um, I, I love that scene where he's dancing down the steps yep. at the end of the movie, near the end of the movie. Um, when he's on his way to go to the Murray Franklin show. Right. And that, that scene, it just, that's when you see that Joker is the Joker. Yes. You know, he's, he's become something that he wasn't at the beginning of the movie. Arthur is gone. Yes. And Joker lives. Yes. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. It really is a masterpiece movie. It's scary. It it's, makes you think. It's difficult. It's difficult to watch. And Before we move on to some other difficult movies, there's one thing that I was very, uh, it, this, is, this, this stuck with me. And different, whenever I see a movie, especially a good movie, a really good movie like this one, there'll always be moments that just stick so permanently with me. And one of them is it's got one of the best needle drops in any movie oh, yeah. that I've ever seen. And for those of you who are listening who aren't who aren't movie buffs to the point that I or Father Chip are and you, and you, you don't read about it and you might not be up with lingo, a needle drop is a moment in the movie that is matched with a piece of popular music. Mm-hmm. As if you've got a, tur- a, a record on the turntable, you drop the needle and it just starts and it, it's it's the marriage of... Music and visuals, mm-hmm. and it's it, it done right. It invokes it invokes memory. Uh, after he's arrested, after shooting Robert De Niro, there's a shot of it's a it's a panning shot, and there's the police car that he's in, and and it and it comes wide to a New York like boulevard, like mm-hmm. Fifth Avenue, just this this canyon of buildings, mm-hmm. and it and the car takes the police car takes the corner. And you see the riots that are happening, the, right. the Joker-inspired riots yep. in the street that are clogging the street. And right as they're turning the corner, the needle drop is the White Room by yes. Cream. Right. That uh, I'm not even going to try to make the. But yeah. I mean, oh, it's the perfect piece of music for the perfect moment. Yes. And that doesn't always happen. So mm. I, I was very, I was very appreciative that they, uh, they had the foresight to make that. No, it was it was genius. Uh, there's a lot of uh, genius moments in this movie. I mean, it's it's just a, well done. It's yes. it's Todd Phillips directed a, a an absolute master if the, masterpiece. I think it it's a movie that I hope gets recognition. Oh, I know? think I think Joaquin's gonna. I think Joaquin. If he's not the front runner, he's at least going to get a Best Actor nomination. Oh, he has to get a Best Actor. I think the he'll think, probably win the Golden Globe, probably. And I think Todd Phillips needs to be considered for Best Director. 
and they could even consider this as best picture. I, I, oh, I don't think I don't think they'll be because they're they're still are they have they swapped back to five movies? Are they still? I don't know at the floating potential. I think they're like, in the floating. It's still potentially five yeah. to ten. Yeah, yeah. I defy you, and I haven't seen all the movies of 2019, but I defy you. I don't think you could point out nine movies that are better. Oh no, or, no, or no. ten, or to put it put it this way. The ten that would like if I don't think that there's any way that the Joker is the eleventh no. best movie this no, no, year. No, it's no. somewhere in the top ten. It's in the t- you you could argue it's in the top three. You could. Um, I think it has to be nominated. I don't know if it will be, but I think it should be. That's how much I think of this. I mean, it's not for everybody. It's a movie. Excuse me. That's not for everybody because there's it's it's hard to watch. Um, there's a violent uh, murder and you a know, couple of a couple them. of them. There's a, you know, a real sense of dread that goes throughout this movie. Despair. Yeah, the despair, this lack of hope. It's it's disturbing to watch, but as a film person, someone who likes the movies, if you go to see this with a certain eye towards that, you can appreciate this world that 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 that, that the filmmakers have created, and um, I think that's something that we don't always get. Uh, is an appreciation of the world that the filmmakers have made, and I think we need to be careful as people that certainly we, you know, as Catholics, we we live a, a certain moral lifestyle, and we don't cheer for people like this. This is not, you know, he's not a hero; he, he's an absolute villain. And in in reality, the, you want him to be caught and punished. But the best you could say for him is that he is to be pitied. Yes, exactly. He's a mentally disturbed person. There are moments during the movie where you do pity him. You yes. know, you, you absolutely do. It, it, you know, it, and it's it's a perfect origin story I for mean, the Joker. For, absolutely. Well, well, or or if you're gonna put it, if you're gonna put, because that's what it is. It, he's not the Joker until the end. I know. It is the. It is. The, so he's on the Murray Franklin show. It's really, the, it's the ramping up to that. So before he's Joker, he's very pitiable. Yes. And he's very relatable. Yes. I think so. But once he's Joker... Yeah, that's when it kind of goes off the rails. That's, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, maybe... I mean, we, gotta, we should also add, spoiler alert, that he, one, two, three, four, kills his own mother. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it's, he's, he's a crazy person, and he acts it out. And, you know, you bring up, you bring up something that I also wanted to commend this movie for. It, you know, when, when you see enough movies like we do, uh, you can, whether you want to or not, you can start to uh, see... Things coming. Mm-hmm. I felt every time he committed one of these terrible acts of violence, I never saw it coming. Yeah. Like it was every single one was a surprise to me. Yeah. I mean, up until the moment he did it, I didn't see him smothering his mother. I did not see that coming. No. At all. I didn't see him. I, I knew he was going to do something bad on De Niro's show, but up until he, up until he shot him. I didn't know that that's what he was going to do. I kind of had a feeling okay. about that one. That one I kind of had a feeling about because, but, you know, that was – it was leading up to some sort of yes. clash between those two guys. Yes. Uh, I actually – I'm sorry I did this, but I trampled all over an excellent segue that you had set up. And I okay. just – like a bull in a china shop. I that's right. But our, our, our subtitle for this episode is The Importance of Watching Difficult Movies. And, right. And here's what I would say about that. My thought on – Difficult movies, and when I say difficult movies, movies that for whatever reason, you know, you watch it and you're just like, you know, 
oh, do I want to keep watching this? There's just something that that I have to a movie that has subject matter that you have to push through. Yeah. That you can't you can't just you have to make the decision to push through it because it's not it's not comfortable. I think those are important because one of the things that I think movies and books and music, art in general, do mm-hmm. for us is it gives us a window into humanity mm-hmm. that we won't necessarily or can't necessarily live. Right. And I think that that's important too because I think it gives you uh, empathy or perspective mm-hmm. or joy for the world or sadness for the world. I think there are important things that you can get. So I don't. I so whenever. I give a review to somebody and say, the movie's difficult. I never say you shouldn't see it. Right. I vividly remember going to the theater to see United 93, mm-hmm. uh, the movie about the yep. the 9-11 plane that crashed in, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yep. I left that movie sick to my stomach in a th- packed theater. Every, I mean, it was a big theater and every seat was taken. Never walked out of a theater more quiet. Mm. I, an empty. If I walked out of an empty theater, there would have been no, more noise wow. than the people shuffling out of this. And I said immediately after, everybody should see that, but I will never watch it again. Mm. I can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with that in mind, I'd just like to talk about some of our other difficult movies that have something that I think have something to say. Okay. And uh, the yeah. first one I want to bring up, and I know you've seen this one. This one's a very difficult one. Uh, it's called American History X. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, starring Edward Norton. Right. It's about a young man who falls in with and then kind of becomes the leader of a group of neo-Nazis in Southern California. I think this takes place probably in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Executes some gang members who are trying to steal his car in, a, in, in just, just one of the most brutal moments of film that mm. I can think I've seen. And he goes to prison. And then the movie is also is told through his little brother's perspective right so in this movie he's in jail and he he finally actually spends time with people of other races right and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen overnight and it's hard one he's converted yeah it's perspective changes yes and it's and it's not done in the sappy way it's done in a very hard way he Mm -hmm. sees that people of his skin color can be horrible and people of other skin colors can be what you need in Mm -hmm. your life and, you know, there's good and bad in everybody. Se- he separate. Yeah. He, he finally, he finally sees that you have to separate skin color from people, mm-hmm. right? Which is, which is, we think that we know that this is absolutely true. But right. in this movie, you see, and it, and it's hard. And there's terrible language used in it, and there's terrible acts of racism and violence. And there's, and there's just uh, like I. But if you ask me if I should, if I would recommend it, I would say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end on a high note, right? But like as as I said before, the perspective in the in in the you know, God willing, you're never gonna live that life. <laughs> Anybody listening, God willing, you're never gonna live the life that Edward Norton or is or any anybody in this movie lives, right? And I think it, but I think what it does is it shines a light on something that is a part of society that we don't like to talk about. Yes, and that. That's important. Yes, I agree with that. Um, my only caveat on whether someone should or shouldn't see it is you, you have to know who you're talking to. I suppose that's true. You know, like my when my grandmother was lucid and could go to the movies, I wouldn't have said go see this because I, I just don't think she would have she would have 
Okay. Never stayed for the whole thing. You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's, it, you got to know who you're talking to. You're absolutely right. If you are a sweet granny, <laughs> American History X Probably is not, not for you. the film for you. It's absolutely not the film for most people. My next example, and I just recently saw this. You, you saw it years ago. You talked about it on Spotlight with Father Bill. Yep. Uh, was 127 hours. Right, right. With James Franco. Yep. And it's diff- that's difficult for another reason. In a reason. different way, yeah. Yeah, it's, about, it's a true story about uh, an outdoor enthusiast who is hiking around the canyons of, what is it, Utah? I think it's Utah. I'm not sure. And, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, he, he, he uh, uh, I guess there's a partial collapse in one of the canyons that he's going through. And he falls, and his arm gets trapped between the, the canyon wall and a rock. A big rock, yeah. And he's there for five days, and then he has to, and this is the tough part, just the dread, the yeah. feeling of dread that you have the whole time. He, his only option for survival is he has to cut his arm off. Right, which is not good. Not good, <laughs> and it's so hard. And it's it's so I cannot tell you it's so hard to watch. Yeah, but when it's over, tough option. When it's over, this is my my takeaway because he gets saved. He lived. Yeah, he lived, and he 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 found a woman that he loved, and he got married, and he had kids. You find this out after, but he lives. And there's people that he runs into in this really remote area where he says in the beginning to some other people, oh, the chances of you running into anybody out here is very, very slim. And they save him and they rescue him. Right. As he, because I mean, his other option was to walk through the desert with his arm cut off. Right. And he had lead out. And he hadn't had any water. I mean, he was in, he was in rough, rough shape. My feeling was, and and this is, this, I'm taking this (laughs) out of the box. If... Aliens were to land on our planet. Yes. And give us an example of some of the things that human beings are capable of when pushed to the limit. This is it. Like, this is And I I felt it was, at the end, it was very uplifting. So Mm. that's one. And then the last example I have of a tough movie, I don't know if you've seen this one. This one's a little bit harder to uh, point out why you might watch it, but it is difficult. Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. The final Stanley Kubrick movie? Yes. With uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? Yeah, I think I did see that when it first came out. I I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember I didn't like it. It's difficult because it's, one, confusing. Yes, very confusing. It's not a simple narrative at all. No. And then there's the, the the famous scene involves some very strange party. Yes. That's not specifically what I'm talking about. There's some really difficult depictions of uh, of marriage hmm. between him and Nicole Kidman. True. And, uh, you know, even watching it as not a married, I'm now married, but even watching it as not a married person, it kind of, I don't know, it gave you, it, it, that movie could give you anxiety about your relationship. Sure. Well, watching Tom Cruise in a relationship will give you that anyway. Well, and, and, and they were married at the and time. I know. And I think uh, him being Stanley Kubrick, I think... He used that to his advantage. I Absolutely. Think the stories were that he he probably crossed some boundaries. I imagine he in did. his yeah. directing. I, he probably manipulated them and tried I'm to sure play did. on play on the insecurities, actual insecurities and issues they were issues having in they their were own having marriage. in their own marriage. Yeah, I bet he did. Just, these are just examples. I, I think that it's I think that it's important to say that don't shy away from a piece of art, whatever mm. it is, because you're afraid of being made uncomfortable. I agree with that. And I think, you know, as Catholics, we sometimes we we get upset about these things because, you know, 
you, you watch a movie like Eyes Wide Shut, you're, you're going to say, well, there's a lot of immorality there. Lots of it. And you're going to say, well, I don't think you know, people should be exposed to immorality. Well, I, you know, it's a, hard, it's a hard thing for me to say because in one, on one sense, being a Catholic priest, I don't want people to see things like that in the sense that I don't want them to think that that's a possibility for them. You know, or they think that that that's something that's somehow you think good some, for them. You think some people might get the wrong message in that. Absolutely, this is the thing to do. Yes, as opposed to this is not the thing. I, to do. Exactly. I think there are some people that might get the wrong message, yeah. and that's 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 something that I'm always concerned about. Um, so what I it's something I've been concerned about throughout the whole time that I've done these, whether it was the TV show or now these podcasts here at. at at Catholic TV, I, I just I worry about some people not being able to handle it. Sure, and I think there are people that can't. Mm. But I think when push comes to shove, most people can. Yes, but they might not want to. Yes, and I think that gets to your point um, that sometimes you need to see these things, like like Joker. Yes, I think people need to see that, not because I I want people to not for the glory of it. Right. I think they need to see it because they need to see that there are people that are mentally ill that need our help. And and if our Arthur Fleck had gotten help anywhere along the line before he became finally became Joker, I think, you know, that clearly it would have been a different movie. It would have been very, very boring and it would have been, you know, over in an well, hour. That also brings up uh, another difficult movie I think I talked to you about uh do the right thing the spike lee movie right 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 it ends in it ends in a in a riot and, mm-hmm. and people have people I've heard interviews where people will ask spike lee about his he plays a main character named mookie and right. like did mookie do the right thing that, right. that you know that's what the title's about and, and he gets told early he goes says, the most important thing you got to know is always do the right thing right well did mookie do the right thing at the end yeah that's the question and he doesn't and spike lee doesn't answer I would say in that in that movie, if you know that movie, nobody did the right thing. Right. There was. A, 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 I think that's the key. That's the key to that. But there are points that you can go back and say, if this person did this instead of this, there's there's key moments, and I oh, yeah. and I think it happens in our lives and in the stories we absolutely. If if and, and to bring it back to the Joker, if a counselor had advocated strongly earlier strongly for Arthur to get. More, no, or, or, or even any any form, any more robust form of treatment. Right. If somebody had said, "This guy is really troubled, and we need to go above and beyond to make sure that he gets the care that he wants," because without that care, he might become dangerous to himself or others. To do the right thing, sometimes you need to see what happens when people don't do the right thing. Right, and I think certainly some of the movies we've talked about today that. That's the key. That's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing people not doing the right thing, and it, I think it helps. It can help solidify in society and um, people that see these films that, you know, yes, this is wrong, and it's good to see that. We can agree, and we can all agree, societally agree, these things are wrong, and uh, we need to try and help make them right. You know, I mean, because when you look at a movie like Joker – you look, you see a mirror turned back on society as it was and as it is with a lack of 
a general lack of empathy um, from people in authority, whether they be uh, religious leaders or po political leaders. I think you see, uh, uh, you know, in the world, a general lack of empathy for the other person. And whether that other person is a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew uh, or nothing at all, you see in society a general lack of general lack of wanting what's right for the other. And, and that's in, in our faith, you know, what we call, what we call agape love is, is certainly something important to me and, and important to you, but it's, it's, it's wanting what's best for the other. You know, we, want what's, we, we need to want what's best for someone else. Like, I need to want what's best for you, and you need to want what's best for me. And when that is in play, the world is a better place. When it's not in play, we see, we see Joker. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's the thing. Um, so I think, you know, when, when people go to see these movies, um, if, they, if they're difficult to watch, yeah, they, they are, because the world is a difficult place. And sometimes you need to see it to know it and understand it, because sometimes we live in a bubble of our own lives that we don't see these things. And it, it can sour our, our empathy towards things that happen in real life. So, um, you know, uh, thanks for joining us today on Never a Dull Movie. I know sometimes this discussion would be a little difficult, you know, and we're talking about some difficult, uh, difficult movies to watch. But I, I think it's important, as we've been saying all along, you know, it's art. Some is good. Some is not so good. Uh, see what's good and, and let it be, um, you know, a lesson. And let it be something that maybe can change you or make you even a better person than you already are. So for uh, Brian Swift, I'm Father Chip Hines. We will see you next time on Never a Dull Movie. Thank you for listening to Never a Dull Movie. Never a Dull Movie has been a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. To learn more about this podcast and the other great podcasts on the Grexley Podcast Network, please check out grexley.com. That's G-R-E-X-L-Y.com. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, please check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash Grexley. When you join our Patreon page, you will receive early and exclusive access to unique content. Thanks for listening to Never a Dull Movie, and we will see you next week.